welcome to Legal Light, where we discuss everything e-discovery. Legal Light is brought to you by Outlaw e-discovery, the UK's leading independent e-discovery service provider, and your host Matt Altes, CEO and founder of Outlaw e-discovery. Hello again. My name is Matt from Outlaw e-discovery, and we're back with season two. My special guest today has joined us all the way from London, Calgary. He's the CEO and founder of iConnect, the e-discovery review platform. He's also a football club owner, scriptwriter, and producer extraordinaire. So welcome, Ian. Pleasure to be here. So tell us about your move into e-discovery and particularly founding iConnect. Uh, you know, it's an interesting story. Um, uh, back in the day, I'm going to say about 95, 96, I was actually a, a Concordance trainer. And um, uh, back when Concordance was owned by the company out of California. And um, not only did we train it, but we also, um, I became the master distributor for their platform in, uh, in Canada. And um, so we would train it all, all around the world. And uh, I was working on a project in Toronto and uh, they said, look, we, we have all this information. Um, it's about, uh, about a million pages and we need to get to it from 18 different locations across the country. How do we do that? And we went, I don't know. And um, but at the time, my brother actually was um, uh, he, he had just graduated from school as a C++ programmer. So I took him a little bit of a, a business problem and said, look, I kind of have this idea that could you take the equivalent of a, a web layer like a, like a search engine uh, from the Internet? And if you can put it right on top of um, on, on top of this platform. And um, and we did. He phoned me one day at, uh, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. And I'll never forget. He said, hey, put, put in this IP address and all of a sudden it was uh, uh, you know the old uh, the old modem noise we all remember and um, I said what am I looking at he says you're looking at the the computer on my kitchen table about two hours down the road and he says go ahead do a search and I did and uh, sure enough, I searched for a word and it called down the data from the larger population to the smaller population. And I remember kind of going, you figured out how to web enable concordance. That's pretty cool. And um, so I went to the guys in California and I said, hey, we've kind of figured out how to web enable your stuff. Do you want to license it from us? And maybe you want to buy it from us? And they kind of went, nah, you know, why don't you just do it? We're just not sure about this whole internet thing. So we did. And um, uh, the, that's really where it started. We that was really short-sighted. Yeah, yeah. We we we, uh, we sold our first system. So we started development in um, um, probably October of '99, just before the world was going to end on on January 31st, '99. And um, uh, sure enough, we actually completed the development around February or March. And we, at that point in time, uh, sold our first system in March, just after Legal Tech, and um, that was to a firm out of New York. And um, really kind of neat because they immediately went. And my goodness, we're going to take this to every one of our clients, and they did. And we uh, we went from uh, sort of uh, zero sales to uh, a, a lot of sales very quickly. Uh, most of the firms out there were using some kind of web hosting, mainly through a company called Case Central that was around at the time. They'd done a lot of missionary work on the whole concept of web-based access to documents. And uh, we came in right after them and said, not only do you, can you do it, you can do it yourself. Just layer this on top of your concordance platform. And, and we did that. Well, that makes a lot of sense why it's called iConnect. So I always wondered until now, I didn't know. So that, that, yeah, the idea was that, that, that you could connect to your concordance. Yes. And um, around 2003, um, we moved to an Oracle backend and then 2008 to a SQL backend. And it sort of continued to evolve from there. So when I first got involved with eDiscovery, um, iConnect was the platform of choice, particularly here in the UK. Um, 
and then it all went a bit quiet about the 2007, 2008. Yeah. What happened? You know, it was kind of a perfect storm, kind of in a bad way. Um, we got a really big project. Uh, it was actually all of the banking investigations for the FDIC in the US. There were, with the, uh, with the mortgage crisis, uh, there were about 970 banks that went under, 19,000 bank branches. And we worked very closely with, uh, with a group out of Washington. They had extraction teams. They would go into every single bank and they would um, boot up the computers. They would siphon out all the data. They'd wipe the drives and hand the keys to the landlord. They'd bring the data back to Washington. They started loading five to seven million records a day. Wow. A day. By the time we were done, we had somewhere around 1.6 petabytes and 44 billion pages of information across 19,700 databases. And it doesn't matter how you look at it. That's a lot of data. And... Um, Technically, it's also a lot of data to manage. Um, you're building indexes, you're doing backups, you're trying to provide for redundancy. You've got probably about 350, 400 people hitting it nonstop, um, uh, doing a lot of heavy, heavy searching, you know, 19 levels of parenthetic logic uh, type searching. And it broke. I mean, uh, you know, and you have to spend the time to fix it. This was a big project. They were paying a lot of money and they had to make sure that it was working. And, and we, we, at the time, we took our, our focus away from the front end of the platform and really just made sure that the back end was rock solid to manage this project. But what happened at exactly the same time was that we found the, um, the, the decision-making process started to change. And what started to happen is that it used to be the IT guy in the boardroom, everybody sort of looked at them and said, is this gonna work on our firewall? And if he said, yes, it will, everyone said, well, then I guess that's what we're gonna buy. And, um, but then it changed. We started to find these new techie lawyers would come in and all of a sudden they saw something at a show or they read something in a magazine and they figured it was the IT guy's problem just to make it work. He, he sort of didn't have a voice at the table anymore and everything started to be driven to, to really be driven by the interface uh, and uh, so here we were with a product with a rock-solid back end that we kind of hadn't touched the front end for a couple of years um, and um, at a, an audience or a market who were interested in a front end not really that concerned about the back end and others others came into the market and ate our lunch to be quite frank and um, so it, but you know it's a new day you, you learn from your mistakes and um, good news is we now have a rock-solid platform, um, and, um, and, and we've been uh, continuing to build out that front end and the user experience to uh, continue to, um, to, to meet market demand. That was quite a high-profile case at the time. Yeah, very, very high-profile. And you worked on, on several high-profile cases, haven't you? Yeah, we've done some interesting stuff. Um, another large one recently uh, was the BP oil spill, mm -hmm. which actually was multiple parts. We were on the plaintiff side. So this was actually all the companies that were suing BP. And um, so you had cruise lines who couldn't run their cruise ships. You had fisheries who couldn't fish. You had other oil companies who were told by Obama that anything under a certain number of feet, you have to stop drilling. And then you had all of the tourist boards who had oil washed all over their beaches. And um, 14 billion pages of information uh, were dumped on the plaintiffs uh, by a combination of BP, uh, who leased the rig, Transocean, who built the rig, Crawford, who made the drill head that exploded, and I think it was Halliburton who ran the rig. And um, so the, the four of them 
uh, on request of we, we need all your stuff, uh, do- drop 14 billion pages. And um, it was a great opportunity for us because we knew we, we had the back end to handle it. But the question now is how do you siphon through all that data? Uh, and we have some un- unique pieces within the platform. One is called Exemplar, where you can create a synthetic document, basically grab something from the complaint to go to a lawyer and say, can you type something up, um, uh, cut, and cop- uh, cut and copy something out of a document and say, that's sort of what I'm looking for. If, if there were a smoking gun, that's what it would contain. And we can literally throw that at the collection and bring back a relevant strength search result to say, hey, here's 98% of the, I think what you're looking for. Here's 93% of what you're looking for. So they use that extensively on that project. And uh, it was a great way for them to siphon through that much data, especially being overburdened uh, the, by the uh, on the production request. Um, another big one we did um, was the uh, British nuclear uh, Toshiba merger and acquisition. That was kind of mid to late 2000s. That was a $5.4 billion transaction. And it was one of those situations where they didn't really use us for e-discovery. They used us actually as a due diligence library in that they actually um, uploaded all of the different uh, financial paperwork, all of the, um, uh, all of the technical information, HR, uh, everything was, was sitting in our library. And at that point in time, the various different parties, the accounting people would go in and only look at the tax returns and the HR people were only looking at the HR area. We have very granular security, so it allows us to manage projects like that. So, um, you know, th- those are two that sort of stick out for me as, as ones that, uh, that certainly made a difference being able to apply technology to a pretty standard business problem. And and recently there's been quite a lot of noise that iConnect was up for sale, but actually you were out looking for investment, which you achieved. So what's that investment going to be able to uh, allow you to do? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, uh, the, the market right now is a little, I'll say, d- disrupted. Um, there are certain uh, organizations out there who have taken a, a sort of a new stance. And uh, that has caused a, a number of people to come to us and say, we'd like to re-engage with you guys. Uh, but we need this, we need this, we need this, we need this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because everyone has now developed their own workflows. They've integrated third-party tools, third-party best practices into the tool they're using now, and they want to replicate that in, in new tools that they adopt. So from our perspective, you know, that, that uh, the more developers and, uh, and, uh, and getting stuff done quicker takes, takes time, energy, and money. Um, we also know that in market, we've, um, we know we've got a better mousetrap. Um, we have not spent a lot of time and effort on the marketing side uh, telling people about that. And, um, and then further to that, we continue to expand our sales channel. We want to make sure that, that we, can, uh, we can support folks like Alt Law. Uh, so really, that's where the money goes. Um, we, uh, when, when we brought uh, the group Newfield uh, in, uh, in July, we specifically told them, by the way, the money you give us, we're going to spend it. Uh, we're not just going to put it in the bank because we see a window of opportunity here in the market. And uh, we feel that if we, um, if we focus in on some really solid development projects, um, some really strong sales initiatives and some really strong marketing, then, then we can continue to grow the business and meet some of the market need. And iConnect already incorporates a number of um, well-known tools into its platform. Uh, you have a great processing at the front end and then your analytics is powered by Sentio and AFI. Yeah. So what's next? Um, you know, the, the, we're always looking for ways to partner with really solid tech. I mean, we, we uh, other companies uh, focus, laser focus on developing things like AI technology. And um, it, for us to start from, from the ground and do that just isn't a good use of our resources. So we have, you are correct, we've partnered with a lot of other technologies to make sure that we can uh, fit pieces of that EDRM model, including processing, which actually was built by one of our vendors. So it's really been battle tested. 
and we've now incorporated that right inside the platform. Um, on the AI side, uh, there, you know, a couple of different engines. Uh, one of them manages really the blocking and tackling, the near dupe, the threading, the clustering, the conceptually fine similar, uh, the, the driving uh, things like exemplar that I talked about earlier. Um, and then the other one really manages Cal and um, gives us the ability to very quickly um, go in and um, with with looking at a, a smaller group of documents, be able to then predict out across a larger scope of documents. The other thing that we're finding is the privacy issue becoming a real a real key, not only uh, here in the UK but also in the US. And I think. Um, redaction is becoming more and more important. Uh, we're actually using some unique um, entity extraction technology and PII identification to be able to identify um, XY pointers on documents to be able to go in and do not only regular expression but really intelligent AI looking for things like phone numbers and fax numbers and, and um, health card numbers, th things like that. What's the fax? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But believe me, there's a lot of documents out there. We actually have one of our demo documents where you can say, I want to find fax numbers. I don't want to find phone numbers. And it will, in fact, highlight the fax number and redact the fax number, but will not redact the phone number. So it has intelligence for looking the words at the words in and around it for context. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's a really neat piece. So there's a number of government agencies in the U.S. who have uh, a lot of redacting to do. Um, and, and they've contacted us and we're, we're in the thick of a few different projects, very interesting projects right now. Uh, you'd be surprised at some of the stuff that we're redacting. But um, I, I think that that's going to continue. People need to search for PII, people to, I need to understand risk. And even when you go back to something like that M&A project, the Toshiba British Nuclear Project, imagine if we could have, we had been able to identify the potential PII risk in that data set as a part of the transaction. It would, would have become a very, very valuable piece for, for folks on, on both sides from a negotiation perspective. So we're seeing the identification of PAI, the ability to report on it, the ability to redact it as sort of a, a, a new area that we, um, we're pretty sure isn't going to decrease in size. It's only going to become more prominent. One of the, the um, parts of the software that we really like is self-serve. Yeah. How did you come up with that? You know, it's interesting, um, more and more, every time I download an app on my phone, um, the amount of time I spend watching a video is zero. And the amount of time I, uh, I, I spend sort of looking up how to do things on Google is zero. Mm -hmm. You just jump in. Uh, you, you start poking buttons and, and and people start to understand now. You know that the share icon sort of looks like that with two little dots on right. it. And, and you know that the gear icon is going to give you the admin controls. And um, I think those kinds of things are making it really comfortable for people to interact with the platform. So what we've gone and done is we've gone and added a whole self-serve layer to it so that people will now be able to go in and create their own case, upload their, load their own documents, set their own parameters for things like uh, duplication, identification of PII, what tagging folders that they, they want to have, and be able to do that in a very seamless way to the point where we're, our goal really is, is for people to require no training to be able to use the platform. We've also noticed that um, there are different um, there are different people, different personas who interact. You know, we've got the project manager who's quite comfortable setting things up and monitoring it, but they don't want to really be doing the actual, the actual uh, review. And then you've got reviewers who want nothing to do with setting it up. Um, they just want to go and do their work. And so we have really tried to identify both with security and also from an interface perspective on that self-serve area, the ability for an administrator to go and set it all up exactly the way you want it, and then for people to take advantage 
advantage of that setup, take advantage of templates, take advantage of, of production templates, and in a very self-serve way, now be able to go in and do it themselves. And uh, that's the expectation people have out there now. Nobody downloads an app on their phone and wants to watch a 20-minute video. Sure. Nobody wants to go to a week and a half long training session. And there are still platforms out there where you have to do that. And um, we aim not to be that platform. Another thing we really love is the ability to search audio and video. Yeah. How easy is it really in the real world? It's pretty easy. Um, that sort of came to us in that we had a client in New Jersey who said, hey, I don't have 2,000 documents. I have 2,000 two-hour videos. How can we get through this stuff? And so what we did, we actually built um, an HTML5 viewer right embedded in the platform with the ability for me to pause the video and make a note, and the note saves the timestamp. Mm -hmm. So uh, what that meant was... Um, uh, it was that in their scenario, they were looking for, it was something like the number of skids that were going in the back of a truck. And, you know, it should have been two, but sometimes it was four. So they were able to go through all this video and go, oh, that, that's an incident. Oh, that's an incident. And, um, and very quickly go and siphon down what was a tremendous amount of, of, of video material to only the things that mattered. Um, since then, we've done a lot of development on the video side, including, to your point, the redaction of video and the redaction of audio, both audio calls, things like um, uh, uh, radio shows and, and um, uh, maybe uh, 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 call logs um, or audio from video, including audio from body cameras, which for the most part is a lot of grumbling and scraping and screaming and yelling. Um, so getting all of that into, into audio, into an audio format, which is searchable, is, is key. And um, so there's a couple of different technologies that we actually integrate with. You talked about partners before, where you can identify a video or an audio file. You can send it out. It comes back. And what you then have is actually every word sitting there in front of you. And when you click on a word, one of the options that you have is to go and redact that word. And if you think about it, it's nothing more than the word with the timestamp around it. It starts at the 13-second mark and ends at the 13-and-a-half-second mark. So we go and find that in the audio and beep it out or, or blank it out so, so that it's empty. Or in the case where it's video, uh, maybe during that time you want uh, someone's face um, uh, fuzzed out or you want a license plate eliminated. So there's some very cool tech out there, a lot of it being used in the police services area. And we've got a, a, several very strong suppliers that we work with, uh, partners that we work with to, uh, to, to be able to make that work. So what's next in 2020? Next in 2020, I think uh, we're releasing our iConnect 10. You know, this I think world premiere of that information. Uh, it's actually uh, iConnect V. You heard it here. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Uh, iConnect V10, uh, we'll be showing that at Legal Tech. And uh, we are on track to release that shortly after Legal Tech. Not going to be July. It's going to be probably within a month after Legal Tech. Um, that is really going to be uh, everything in one. Um, there's a lot of frustration in the market right now where, well, it might be this much to host it, but processing's extra, AI's extra, CAL's extra, productions are extra, uh, the caching of the images is extra, you're getting charged for the logs in the back end. And our goal really is to try to bundle all that together and, uh, and make it really seamless for people, make it predictable. I think what we found, and certainly in talking to our clients, is that the users in a, in a project um, are pretty pretty stable. You know, they, they, they might do this a little bit. Um, the gigabytes in a project have the tendency to do that. And um, so what we're trying to do is, is come at the market uh, in such a way that it's a, a top solid product. Everything is in it that you'd ever need to do. The redaction, the AI, the CAL, the blocking and tackling, um, uh, 
analytics, clearly all of the search, uh, graphing, charting, multi-language capability that you really need in a platform. Um, but then beyond that, go and skin it with that self-serve piece that, that we just talked about, and then package that in such a way that it's got a reasonable cost of ownership and a super easy licensing model. So people can identify and predict what their e-discovery costs are gonna be project upon project. I heard that you own a football club. I do. This seems to be a running theme in my guests on this show. You're not the first. Tell me about the football club. Which well, one is it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually played football when I was younger. I played uh, played on the provincial team, which is was a decently high level. And so I've always had a passion for that. Um, I actually moved. Uh, I was actually born in Glasgow, Scotland. So if you like, I can do the rest of the interview like this. <laughs> but instead, I'll talk Canadian instead. Um, but I, so I moved to, to Canada when I was quite young, and my father immediately decided to start a football club in the city that we grew up, grew up in, uh, which is Brantford, Ontario. And um, uh, so I, I sort of followed in his footsteps a little bit. Uh, when my kids were kind of four, five, six, I started coaching and then I became the president of the club, the local the local football club. And then when uh, when my kids were around 16, 17, we realized pretty quickly there was nowhere for them to go at that point. There was there was, there was, there was a bit of a gap. And um, so myself and, and others decided to, uh, we got involved, we bought a, a franchise out of Tampa, Florida. We participated in a North American league. Uh, we actually won that league in 2012. We were North American champions. We beat uh, the Seattle Sounders uh, second team in the semis and uh, Carolina in the uh, in the finals but it's continued to grow from there so that was in 2009 we started 2012 we won and then we went into a different league which was all the way from eight-year-olds to 23 year olds and so we now have about 26 teams um, boys and girls our uh, women won their championship this year our men uh, lost in the final uh, red card in the 17th minute, which I wasn't happy about, but uh, um, but um, uh, yeah, very, very successful club. And we're actually affiliated with Toronto FC. So we're an academy program for the MLS club, Toronto FC. They actually won the North American Championship, uh, the MLS Championship in 2017. So uh, we wear their branding, we wear their colors, and um, uh, you know, a, a great organization to be involved with. So um, we've got about uh, 400 kids in the program. And um, I mean, our goal really is not to make money at it. Our goal is to create opportunity. We've already had a couple of players uh, make the national team and, um, and, and go on to pro contracts. And uh, ultimately for me, that's the big pat on the back is, yeah. is when you see something like that happen. It's very exciting. And if you need, as if you need more to do, you're also a, a film producer and a screenwriter. Yeah, because I have a lot of spare time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what, what happens is actually is I spend a lot of time in get a hobby. Yeah, <laughs> I spend a lot of time in airports and hotels, and uh, so I'm always kind of. Uh, but a, a friend of mine is a movie producer, and um, he uh, I got involved with a um, with a, um, a movie. It was called Gridlocked. I've seen that. Yeah, have you? Okay, and it was um, uh, it, it was Vinnie Jones and uh, Dominic. Dominic Purcell, Danny Glover, uh, Stephen Lang, who was the bad guy in Avatar with the big scar in his head mm -hmm. and um, I went down to the red carpet event met, met a number of them there in Austin Texas and um, so I was an executive producer on on that and uh, from there I, I really have had a bit of a passion for, for writing um, I've always been enjoyed writing on the in, on the iConnect front so I took a run at it and um, I'm on script number three now uh, none of them have gone to, to movies yet but um, a script writing is, is quite an undertaking it's about an 18 month process over the course of uh, maybe 10 to 15 rewrites and re rereading 
writing and rewriting your own stuff is kind of hard. And, uh, but I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I, I enjoy being able to, um, I've always been quite creative and the ability to sort of see something in my head and then try to find a way to replicate that on paper so that ultimately it can, uh, can become something in the future is really quite exciting. So I was in Edinburgh about, um, three weeks ago, and I went to the uh, St. Bernard's Well, and that probably means nothing to anyone did to who's watching today, but in 1895, St. Bernard's, who were not a great team, ended up winning the Scottish Cup. They beat Celtic, they beat Rangers, they beat Hearts and Hibs, and that year they played two exhibition games, one against Man U, um, and uh, another one against Arsenal, and they won both of those. And um, so they were truly champions in 1895. So I've taken a snippet of time between uh, July 1994 and April 1995, uh, mashed it up with a little bit of Peaky Blinders. So Uncle Frank is, uh, is like uh, Thomas Shelby, uh, always trying to find a way to uh, undercut the club so he can gamble against them. And uh, it's, it's an interesting script. So I'm really enjoying that one right now. Now I'm really looking forward to this next bit then. Um, you've watched the show. Uh -huh. You know what's coming next. Uh -huh. You're going to tell us something that we otherwise wouldn't know about you. So I'm going to ask, did you know that Ian Campbell? Uh, Ian Campbell was in a, it's an interesting one actually, I was in a hotel in Manhattan Beach, California. And end of the day, sat down, glass of wine, reading a magazine, and a guy sat down across from me, not unlike we are right now. And he was working away on his laptop. and. Um, and uh, I kind of made eye contact and said, oh, yeah. and uh, at one point I said, oh, are, you, are you having fun or are you doing some work? And he said, oh, I'm actually working on a screenplay. And I uh, went, oh, that's kind of neat. You know, he said, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a writer. And oh, it's kind of neat. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he pulls out his duffel bag and he pulls out a book and um, it's got sticky notes all the way through it with a big random house, not for distribution on the front. And he goes, here, read this. And I'm reading it. And I'm like, oh yeah. And then uh, my helicopter landed in my front yard and I had to get the security guys to clean it up so my wife didn't find out goes, oh, read this read this and it's um, and then um, I tried to attack the stewardess on the private plane so they strapped me into my with seat belts and I woke up in Zurich I said well this is quite a story like he goes yeah so what's it about he goes oh well um, uh, my name is Jordan Belfort um, I, I owe the IRS 93 million dollars and um, and I'm writing a book so I can make all my money back and I didn't know who he was at that point in time found out later he was of course the wolf of Wall Street mm -hmm. and um, I uh, we, we talked for about two hours I didn't really know who he was and um, exchange phone numbers. I was down again a month later and got together with him. And by then the actual book had come out. And um, so I got him to sign the book. And um, he, uh, uh, and at that point in time, uh, he, he had shown me this Variety magazine article where Pitt and DiCaprio were bidding on the Wolf of Wall Street screenplay. At which point he said, that's the screenplay I was writing when, when, when you and I talked. So he's a friend of mine on Facebook now. And um, we chat, chat back and forth every now and then. But uh, yeah, kind of a, a, a chance meeting at a hotel. I've seen him Stage down to the XL. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. He's very. It's one of my favorite films. Yeah, yeah. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. Did you learn anything from him? You know, I, I, I think um, it, it really he has very much of a don't give up attitude. Um, it's sort of a, I'm just going to do this. Um, interestingly enough, one of the... <laughs> Sell me this pen. Sell me this pen, that's right. But, but, but funnily enough, um, when he was in prison, his roommate was actually Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong. And um, I said, come on, you've got to be kidding me. Because all I could think of in the back of my head was Tommy Chong in his, his standard kind of drawl going, come on, man, you got to make a movie, man. And uh, I, I just kept thinking about that. But, um, but ultimately, 
ultimately he did make the movie. So here's a guy who, uh, you know, he'd made something out of himself. He went down to absolutely ground zero and um, he built it back up again. And um, so, you know, like everyone, you know, we, we've all got challenges in our lives. But uh, I think the one thing I, I'd learned from that is that, uh, you know, keep on smiling, keep moving forward. Brilliant. Ian, it's been wonderful seeing you. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Legal Light was brought to you by Alt Law eDiscovery, the UK's leading independent eDiscovery service provider. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to like, comment and share, and please leave us a review. For more information on our products and services, visit www.altlaw.co.uk. That's www.altlaw.co.uk. That's www.altlaw.co.uk.